station that we're here for, a real education. Welcome to A Real Education. Today we are having a lovely afternoon outside, so you might get to hear the wonderful sounds of a Minnesota summer as the cars pass us by and the wind blows, mm -hmm. and we're getting ready to go in <laughs> and watch The Conversation. I am your host, Tim Wick, joined as always by my co-host, movie specialist, Melissa Kersher. Hello! And movie, I don't know, private, movie... Movie not, not so specialist. Movie raw recruit. <laughs> oh, ah, yeah. I like that. Movie raw, raw recruit, recruit Jenna Young. Yay, and uh, As I said, we are here at the Trilon Micro Cinema. We are about to watch The Conversation, starring Gene Hackman. So, Jenna, uh, I just gave you one gimme fact. <laughs> but uh, why don't you tell us what you know about The Conversation? Well, it's starring Gene Hackman. Wow, you were yeah. listening. All yes. right, well done. Um, I believe it was made in the 70s. And the, the feeling that I have surrounding it is like, um, like, like, Homeland Security tapping into things. Okay. Like, okay. like, like tapping into things and 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 getting conversations and, and things that that surround possibly a particular conversation. Okay. The the name the name might imply there is a yeah, conversation. Yeah. There, it, there might important. be a conversation yes. involved, but mm -hmm. but I feel like I've, I've I've heard that it's got like 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 some kind of uh, getting into like privacy stuff and things like that privacy right. stuff and things like that privacy right. stuff. so uh now i'm going to i've never seen the conversation so Ooh. this is a new one for me uh i know a lot about it okay but i have never seen it so i'm not going to talk about what i know about the film because what i know about the film is quite a lot but uh in a non-spoilerish way uh melissa and i will do a brief chat about uh the film from what we know most of which was going to come from melissa yes because she has in fact seen it. I haven't. It, it was a very long time ago that I saw it, and I remember the first time I saw it. I saw the movie and I went, "I'm not smart enough for this movie yet." Ah. <laughs> so, ah. mm. so it'll be very interesting to uh, revisit this. But it's um, it is a 1970s kind of psycho thriller. Well, Ooh. maybe thriller isn't quite the right term. It's it's um, more like a psychodrama, but it is a it does involve wiretapping. So, and, and this was right after Watergate. So it gets into all of the Watergate drama. Okay. Well, well, not directly, but it it talks about a lot of the, the things that America was talking about at that time. Yeah, and it's uh, directed by Francis Ford Coppola, mm -hmm. who is well known for the Godfather films. This yes. is actually... This comes out between The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. Yes, he okay. actually had written up the plot of the conversation prior to doing The Godfather, but by doing The Godfather, he wound up getting the funding to do the conversation because The Godfather was a huge hit. Okay. So, uh, and uh, I don't think you're going to find that there's a lot similar between this and The Godfather, but it is. Uh, <laughs> well, I can think one thing that's similar. Well, yeah, actually, we'll a, a considerable amount of the cast, actually, yes. is similar between this and The Godfather, or at least a good chunk of the cast. The supporting cast, yes. Uh, so, but uh, it stars Gene Hackman. This is uh, the 70s, which is really when he's on a rise, as, uh, on, on a big rise as an actor. Mm -hmm. And this movie is certainly part of what establishes him as a well-respected actor in the, in the movie industry. So... Uh, we hope you've enjoyed our conversation thus far and uh, the cars and buses and <laughs> motorcycles that have joined us for this conversation about 
the conversation. This really... And, and I promise when we come back after this short break, after we watch the movie, we will be indoors. We'll be indoors <laughs> at the Trial on Micro Cinema talking with an audience who has shared the experience of Aww. watching the conversation with us. Yes. Oh, that's so sweet. We'll be back in what will seem like just a few seconds, but will have in fact been a couple of hours. More cars. Vroom, vroom. Vroom. back. We've just finished watching uh, the conversation with a large number of people, many of whom are still here. Hello, people who are still here. Hi! Hi. So, Jenna, uh, yes. you, as our official uh, movie not know anything about, what did you think? I... Um, oh my god, I love psychological thrillers so much. I never knew that this was a thing that I liked. Like, <laughs> this is so awesome. Uh, um, just watching his mental breakdown and, and how he tries to not be involved but and then, and then be involved and then not, like the, the back and forth, the, the, the conflict that happens just all inside this person is awesome. Um, and very sad and depressing. Oh yes, it, it, it's a '70s film. It's a real yeah. feel good movie. Not a lot of happy happy endings in the '70s. No, 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 no. Then uh, this, uh, you know, and this is my first time watching this movie as well, um, which raises the question of whether or not anything from the point he checks into the hotel actually happened. Yeah. Um, yeah, you, you start kind of questioning what he knows and what he doesn't yeah. know, and it's kind of like eventually the, what's happening at all. Yeah, the, sure. and the the movie cleverly doesn't bother to give you any answers to that question. Mm -hmm. It just kind of gives you an ending and says, well, this could have happened. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Because um, really, that's, in in a way, that's not important. What's important is what's happening to this man. Yeah. 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 So, uh, a couple of facts about this movie, released in 1974. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, we mentioned before, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. 1974 is the same year he makes Godfather Part Two. So... Yes. This film and Godfather Part Two both not both nominated for Best Picture. Yes. So. <laughs> yeah. So he he was doing real well. This was a good year for <laughs> Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> yeah, Francis Ford Coppola was doing pretty pretty dang well in the early seventies. Yeah, there there was this team uh, kind of team of filmmakers that kind of all became big filmmakers together. They 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 all weren't they uh, at UCLA together? Uh, I don't. They were, at, uh, they were at the same film school, and I don't Yeah, they were all at the same was. film school, but it was Spielberg, George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Walter Murch was in there, and I think they were, I think I'm forgetting somebody, but they were all, uh, they all just kind of erupted to fame in, within the decade of the 70s, yeah. and they were all just these amazing blockbuster filmmakers. I just pictured you said erupted in a fan. Mm -hmm. I just pictured like a volcano full of a volcano full of movie cameras. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Film everywhere. Oh, it's crazy. Uh, they actually, and maybe I'm remembering this incorrectly. This is this is nothing to do with this movie, but uh, Coppola, Spielberg, and Lucas, I believe, team awarded the best director Oscar the year that Martin Scorsese finally won it. Yes. <laughs> and that did not, to me, seem to be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. It seemed to me like they were like, well, Scorsese's going to win it this year, so let's have these three guys give it to him. <laughs> just, just 
it's like, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, one of those weird things. But uh, anyway. Now, now, you had heard me name drop Walter Murch in that team of people. Walter Murch was the sound and uh, uh, film editor of this movie. And he's one of the great legendary film editors. So what other films has it to... Uh, Apocalypse Now. Oh, I've heard of that one. Yes, yeah. and like The English Patient and... Uh, now I'm just going to go completely blank. But he's he's uh, edited about 25 films, and a good number of them are really impressive mm-hmm. classics. And, and whereas talents truly show in the conversation is all in the sound editing. It's oh. very front and center oh. in the story. And um, it, it's interesting watching this now. Uh, the last time I saw this movie, I was probably in my early teens. And as I noted in our prologue, which we recorded separately outside the theater... Um, when I first saw it, I saw it and went, I'm not smart enough for this movie yet. <laughs> so I think Are I you smart enough later. for this movie now? I think I am. I think did, I am. I, I really appreciate it. your interest in, in sound and, and audio work. Yeah, I, I, given that I saw it on a little tiny TV off of VHS tape when I first <laughs> saw it, um, not quite at that time, but now I, I can look at... Uh, Harry calls Lab and go, Woo, look at that, look at that, look at that. I don't wonder what all those things are. <laughs> the, uh, I can do all this on my Mac now, but I don't care. Look at that thing. It's got knobs and stuff. I want it, yeah. Knobs and switches. Why don't more computers Buttons. have knobs and switches? It's Buttons. totally unfair. Buttons that click. Um, yeah. You see a lot of uh, actors that are familiar from, from The Godfather. Yeah, you see, this uh, film. Uh, is it Duvall for like, a smidgen of a second, and you see uh, John Cazale yeah. shows up. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Cazale being uh, the gentleman who plays Stan. Very interesting film career. He was only in five movies. All five of the films are nominated for Best Picture. He was in The Godfather, Godfather 2, this film, uh, Dog Day Afternoon, and uh, um, The Deer Hunter. Wow. And he passed away very soon after the deer hunter. He, he died very young of uh, calf, cancer. And the kicker to this is Godfather 3, which was made many years later, used uh, archive footage of Kazale since he was in the previous films. And that got nominated for Best Picture as well. <laughs> so, so he was wow. magic. He had an impressive career for so being so terribly short. His career short. lived on beyond him. And yeah. So if I if I ever make a movie, I'm gonna get the rights to get archive footage of John Cazale in the movie somehow, and I haven't made. On the on the other side of the coin, in terms of uh, short film careers and long film careers, we have a very early a young Harrison Ford. Yes. Uh, in Pre-Hansel. a point where he's uh, still only uh, a supporting character rather than mm-hmm. than yeah. the star of every film he's in. So <laughs> it's it's yeah two years three years before. Before Han Solo basically turns him into somebody who never plays a supporting role again. Yeah. Until he gets too old. <laughs> <laughs> He's making Star Wars now. He is making Star, but he was well a after he recovers from the ankle. <laughs> he was a supporting supporting character in Ender's Game. So. Oh yeah, that's yeah, right. See, so you know, that's it happens. Right. Um, and you know, in between, he rescues people in the mountains with his personal helicopter. Yeah. Cause, yeah, because you know, he does stuff like that. Because he's fucking Han Solo. Yeah. Uh, anyway. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so uh, what else, what other what other trivia do you have about the film to share with us, Melissa? Well, I was um, amused that um, in 1998 or so, there was this movie called Enemy of the State with, was it Will Smith yeah. and Gene mm-hmm. Hackman? 
And I always like to imagine that Gene Hackman is actually playing Harry Call in that movie as well because he is this surveillance expert. Super paranoid. Yeah. Even yeah. more paranoid somehow than he is in this film. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's and like, I re- and I, I like that interpretation a lot. So he's wearing the same coat. He is he's wearing, wearing the same, the coat. same coat. Yeah, okay, so what's up with that coat, right? <laughs> you, mean, Why? you mean the rain slicker that he yeah. wears over yeah, his suit? Yeah, like the, oh, yeah. the 25 yeah. cent, you know, put it in your pocket rain slicker they wears indoors, in bed, just everywhere. I don't understand. Does it? Well, well, I, well, I know it's, it, it's symbolic. Yeah, but, it's symbolic of sort of that, but that still. layer he has between himself and the, and the rest of everything. Well, yeah, his name is Call, which is like a shroud or a, mm-hmm. like a membrane. Yeah, which is funny because it, the in the script, it was originally Harry Call, like Call on a Telephone, C-A-L-L. And then somebody made a typo and they went, oh, we like that. And then they, <laughs> and they kept going with it. It was a mistake. And yet <laughs> yeah. It was a mistake that they liked. Um, you know, I think the, the theme in here, I mean, Harry especially, he's like this... This character that watches and doesn't get involved, and even when he reaches the point where he ought to get involved, what does he what does he do? He he just goes into the next room and records the whole thing. Yeah, you know he knows something bad is going to happen. He's wrong about what's going to happen, but he knows something bad is going to happen, and yet he's still not capable of getting involved. Which I, is, I, I also love that he's both really great at his job and really crappy at his job. Because he's he's really fantastic at this the technology part, and yet his his uh, landlord gets into his apartment and gives him a bottle of wine without <laughs> <Yeah>. him knowing. <laughs> he has three locks in the door. Landlord still gets in and is reading his mail, and uh, yeah. you, you know the, he sleeps with a woman, and the tapes get stolen, and so he's like really good at the technology, but not so much at at, protecting. With, at people management. Yes. <laughs> um, so. You know, what do you guys think? I mean, I'll ask the audience, too. Um, is there a point where he goes off the deep end and, and we can't trust what's happening? Or do you think what we see on screen is really happening? Um, and personally, since it's a 70s film, I'm thinking by the end, it's pretty much in his head. Yeah? But that mm-hmm. that's a guess. And I know that um, Francis Ford Coppola has gone on record saying he doesn't know if there's a bug in the apartment. Huh. Like, friend, the director says, well, it could be in the saxophone strap, or it, there could just not be a bug. Or it could be that weird telephone it's device telephone thing, thing that we saw yeah, the at the convention. Thing. Yeah. I don't uh, think he searched the saxophone. He did yeah. not search the saxophone. Well, yeah, and, he, and, and the saxophone strap never moved off of his neck, so. My first time seeing this film, but I was thinking that right at the end, he torn up everything else, and he's playing the saxophone. Yeah. It could be in there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I was like, I, I thought I thought it might have been that weird phone tapping thing that the one guy had done where you oh, just yeah. call. But uh, I but at the same time I wasn't sure if he's imagining that call and just freaking out, mm-hmm. um, which which he could be. Uh, you know, there's certainly a lot of '70s films that that end with something that may or may not really be going on, mm-hmm. and clearly Coppola himself. Is not willing. Is <laughs> not willing to share that information with us. Yes. So, um, just uh, by applause, I just want to know how many people think what happens, what we see happen at the end of the film, actually happens. Okay. 
How many well, let, let's de define actually happens. Do I believe he actually tore up his apartment? Do oh, you yes. believe he actually? Do, <laughs> do you believe he actually got a call from Harrison Ford telling him that they know what's going on? Yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. So, is there anybody who doesn't believe that happened or thinks that it's questionable whether or not it happened? Wow. Ooh. So everybody right. thinks that really happened. See, we're, yeah, we're all it's literalists. Because, it's because of the look that he gave him at the at the the news thing. Just that that Harrison Ford. <clears throat> I see what you're doing. I see you. <laughs> I, I love I that. that. Harrison Ford's on screen for maybe three minutes total, and he's yeah. just fantastic. You just he's check so me out. Slimy. I'm Harrison Ford. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he just didn't know that he was Harrison Ford yet. Um, I think Sarah was hmm. going to say something. Oh, oh, oh only that I, I believe it happened because I think we're meant to, to believe this is what happened in New York. This is why mm. he had to leave New York eventually because when he gets in deep enough, he can't trust the people he's working for and has to relocate. Nice. Yeah, although I think the reason that he left New York... I thought that was it was pretty clear he left New York because those people ended up dead and he couldn't deal with the consequences of what he did. Yes. He, he views himself as responsible for their murder. But why would he still be in the same business? Why did he just change cities? I think because it's the... It, yeah. I think because it's the only thing he knows. It's all he knows how to do it. If he's... Yeah. If he's one of the... Obviously one of the best in the business at it, I mean that's what he knows how to do and he's probably convinced himself that well he'll just make sure it doesn't come to that point again which right kind of leads to where he maybe has this breakdown at the end or where he's trying to get involved but doesn't know what to do maybe well yeah and I, I think I think I agree with you there because the only time you see that character just light up and kind of enjoy conversation is when he is describing that surveillance setup in the square at the party later yeah because yeah. he it's like he's just, he's on he's engaged and he starts he's joking like, and being personable yeah yeah for and and then it's gone and then it's gone because well, you know, he the director set it up in the first scene with the shadows mm -hmm. i mean he's nothing but he shadows people right his life is his life is lived in the shadows and he himself was a shadow and i just wonder why Ranko was transparent. No. Well, it, it could False be because, yeah, uh, because precisely. I think I think it's a he believes it's it's a cover, but clearly it's inadequate. It's yeah, it's, it's really clearly it, I think an analogy. Uh, yeah. Uh, so he the question is vulnerable. Was, mm -hmm. Yes. That he's vulnerable. He, he's more vulnerable than he thinks he right. is. So the comment uh, was that, that why was the raincoat transparent? So, or right. a, a more of a, not a question, but more of a comment wondering yes. about that. I'm just making sure I capture it for the computer here. Um, <laughs> so do you have anything else, Melissa? Or should we uh, open up to questions here. or um, comments a little more? Oh, the blue, the blue Mercedes that you see near the end of the film, it was one on a bet. Because <laughs> sure. uh, apparently during uh, the filming of the first Godfather movie, Coppola had to share this um, uh, station wagon with like five other people uh, on the set of The Godfather, and they were really tired of it, and he petitioned the studio to get a different car, and the studio goes, well, if this money, th if this movie makes money, then yeah, we'll, we'll upgrade you, or, you know, basically, <laughs> and, you know, kind of like, yeah, yeah, this will, yeah, like, this will make money, and then, of course, it's huge. Oh, that's so, a beautiful middle thing. So he and, he and George Lucas went to the car lot. The, well, I'm sorry, what? It's called a Pullman, the model. A Pullman. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. 
Yeah, so wow. he and George Lucas one day after Godfather, uh, you know, made a made bank, uh, they went shopping for a Mercedes and charged it to Paramount. <laughs> <laughs> and then he got to make Godfather Part Three later. Oh um, yeah. Anyway. So, uh, are there any you know questions or comments? You can raise your hand. We will attempt to uh, address it in any way, shape, or form that we can. Uh, we are, yeah. Well, I just, I mean, I just love that cinematography of his. Oh yeah, the cinematography. Oh, it's beautiful. Up above, you know that square, and then you notice everything going on when he's when he's walking into that building, and you know he's being compressed. Remember. Yeah. The lines yes. go this way, just like in a Renaissance painting to the end point. That opening zoom is just yeah. fantastic. And then the panning of the apartment. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, that, that survey. Wonderful, wonderful Coppola cinematography. And also mm-hmm. that Catholic element. Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. forget that. I mean, that's what might have helped drive the nuts. Yeah. How, how, how great is that final shot where it's literally the panning uh, surveillance camera shot, oh, yeah. you know, just bouncing mm-hmm. back and forth. Um, what I was going to say uh, also about the cinematography, that wonderful opening shot with, or, well, sh- the whole scene, uh, the opening scene with that amazing telephoto uh, work was done by Haskell Wexler. Yeah. Which uh, was the guy who did like uh, Days of Heaven, and he, he's one of the great legendary cinematographers. But after that, I can't remember what happened. But uh, somebody else shot the rest of the Coppola film. Coppola fired him. Oh, that's he's right. apparently terrible to work with, and Coppola just had to fire him eventually. So, so Haskell Wexler pretty much just works with Terrence Malick, and that's it. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, he found yeah. somebody else who managed to finish out the film fairly yeah. well. Yeah. Yes, uh, it was very nice. That, that, that was the only shot of his that, that they kept. Yes, was the, was the opening shot. Yeah. So, any other questions, comments? Yes, front row. I'm curious just to hear your comments about how this is a post-Watergate uh, scandal. Ooh. It's not, though. Yes, it is. It's, uh, they, th- they were shooting the film prior to the release of Watergate. Like, they were making the film before Watergate happened. <laughs> and then it opened, like, two, two or three weeks after, I thought. thought Watergate was... 72. 72, was and this yeah. was 74. Oh, okay. Yeah. I, never mind, then. It, so, uh, it, it is if somebody funny. would care to verify the Watergate was 72 so we don't sound like complete <laughs> idiots um, but I think it, I, th- and there are a lot of films in the 70s like right in that 74, 75, 76 range that mm-hmm. are very definitely inspired by by Watergate and I don't know if this film I mean this film may have been you were saying that uh, Coppola had this film in his head when he was making Godfather yeah and Godfather was seventy one. Yes. So. Yeah, but I, God, I think if, I think he he had basically an outline, and then when Godfather made money, then they moved forward with the script and then production. Mm-hmm. So certainly the development of the story was pre Watergate, whatever. Well, like the the initial idea, at least. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much it it changed. But yeah, it, you know what? Sorry. <laughs> The the scandal for Watergate uh, was March 23rd, 73. 73. The scandal broke. Okay. So this film could have... I don't know when it was released in 74. So it it could have been in production before Watergate. But Mm -hmm. still, it's fascinating how it really fits in with that era 
of filmmaking that was informed by the Watergate scandal. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's all the you know beyond the questions of privacy. It's um, it, it's it, it. I think it also kind of addresses America's disillusionment with its own government. I mean, like um, Harry Call's not a bad guy, but you just see him keep fumbling the ball and try, yet trying to do the right thing, but nothing is going right. Mm-hmm. So I think. I think well, a, a lot certain, of that certain amount yeah. of uncertainty as to what the the right thing is is right. he's supposed to um, you know if he doesn't have enough evidence if he only has hearsay and conjecture how much can he actually bring up with an outside party while still trying to you know he's he's got this I'm I'm working privately for you and maintaining that person's privacy except that it may lead to another thing but it might not so how do you know Right, and there's a there's a huge theme of powerlessness or impotence in this film. In that Harry is there. There's the first scene with Terry Gar where he is unable to perform when she starts uh, talking about him and trying to pull out facts mm-hmm. about who he is. There's the fact that he's unable to do the right thing or even the wrong thing when confronted with with a situation where he must do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, I think, does translate into a lot of other 70s themes of powerlessness, of, of characters trying to do the right thing. You know, Dog Day Afternoon is another good example oh, of Dog a Day film Afternoon. Great. Where, where you've got characters that are fighting against power because they have none. Mm-hmm. Um, and the fact that ultimately they still, at the end of the movie, have none. Mm-hmm. They, 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 they are not able to get beyond that. Um, and so whether or not it's, it's Watergate, that certainly is an attitude that's there that I think Watergate uh, served to heighten. At least that's my feeling, having been yeah, six good. at the time. <laughs> <laughs> you were alive at the time? I too? was. I know. I, I was. Hey now, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there's that brief mention of the Soviet Union. I mean, that just speaks to that larger history mm-hmm. of Cold War surveillance. Yes. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think the Cold War plays a big plays a big part in how in in the yeah. way this movie goes. How, yeah. how great is that surveillance convention, by the way? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like I oh I kind of want to see what was on the on the floor down there. That was pretty great. <laughs> Uh, the last another thing I want to say is the fact that every time Harry opens up his mouth and starts sharing something, things go horribly wrong for him. True. Yeah, he's he's getting a lot of negative reinforcement. <laughs> <laughs> that he should really never say anything about himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the back. As paranoid as he was, I was really surprised that he didn't suspect something about the pen immediately. Yeah. But I, I think that also feeds into the kind of the point I was trying to make earlier, where he's really good at the technology, but he's bad at the people management. So he he's actually rather dense in trying to figure out yeah. how people are interacting with him and with other people. And oh my he's, God, women, am I right? Oh ah, yeah, yeah. He does not deal with women. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting. Alcohol can throw you off. <laughs> We're getting close to the point we uh, <clears throat> need to wrap up. So before we go, Melissa, any final thoughts on the conversation? Um, actually, I just got a plug uh, for Walter Murch's work um, yeah. because 
Uh, Walter Murch worked on one of my favorite projects ever taken upon in Cinema Dumb. He uh, helped restore Orson Welles' Touch of Evil. Oh. So uh, when the original Touch of Evil came out, uh, it had been fiddled with, and Orson Welles didn't like the results. So many, many, many years later, Walter Murch pretty much took it upon himself to gather all of Orson Welles' notes about Touch of Evil and reconstruct the whole thing according to his notes. And it's a beautiful and glorious thing. So, so yeah. It's really neat. Good for Walter Murch. Jenna, final thoughts? I'm not sure there were many bras in this movie. Well, it was the 70s. <laughs> it was the 70s. Right? 70s. So, yeah. Like, I'm just, I was looking at that green dress going, wow, honey, that's, huh. <laughs> Uh, okay, so with that, uh, I'm going to let you know that our next Real Education Live podcast here at the Trilon Theater is going to be Sunday, July 20th. We are going to be watching Metropolis with live musical accompaniment, and that's at so 8 p.m. Cool. That's very exciting. Our next episode is actually going to be kind of a silent movie theme because our next episode, uh, we watched The General. And uh, so that episode's coming out on the 15th of July. This episode, again, is coming out on the 1st. Uh, we want to thank the Trilon for hosting us for these yes. events. Yay. We really appreciate Yay. it. Thank you, everybody, for coming out tonight. Yeah. And uh, I'm Tim. That's Ma Jenna. That's Melissa. And what? good night, everybody. Wait, what? What? Hi. Hi. <laughs> thank you for your gentle round of applause. We hope you enjoyed our film fixation. We'll see you next time on A Real Education. Dee, dee.